All right, guys, look, we know what this is. It's my pre-show pitch to try to convert more free first-hour listeners to full two-hour-plus-show subscribers. And this is a format I've been using for 10 years now, so I realize that most people who see the value have already pulled the trigger on it, but now I'm trying to get deep down into those hard-to-reach places, and I guess that's you. Now, what can I say that hasn't been said? There's only a few ways a podcast works. The big one is ads. They suck. They ruin the flow of the show. And in a lot of cases, they erode the trust and respect I have for hosts that go this route. They shouldn't be promoting boner pills and hair pills or encouraging a fast track through the therapy pipeline just because they're getting paid. I've seen nutritionalists break down some of these ingredients in the athletic health powders and drinks and surprise, they're not as good as they claim to be. I bought a razor my favorite podcaster said would be Nick Proof, nicked myself the first day. I got sucked into a foam mattress from a guy who said he's never slept better and I haven't slept good since. And that Irish titles thing everyone was selling turned out to be a complete scam too. But enough about how my colleagues' mouths are for sale to whoever asks, I'm here to put you in this Plus membership today. Five shows a month for eight bucks with a decade-long archive. And yes, the first hour is important. It's there to present our guests to the wide, counterculture, open-minded audience we've cultivated, and it gives people a feel for if they like what THC is, as well as being the proof of concept that I can do a lot more with the added time. The second hour is so I can make a living, and it's also an opportunity to get into the stuff your standard one-hour shows can't, asking guests about that obscure, provocative quote from their book that I actually read, talking about previous work they might have done, getting their thoughts on some odd subject outside of their latest material, or maybe even talking about something too spicy to be out there in the open. And that should appeal to anyone who enjoys the first hour. And when you become a Plus member, these full episodes are all there in a single two-hour file, no switching back and forth or downloading two separate halves of the same interview. It's very nice to have it that way going forward, and if you want to go back, unlike most podcast archives that are just a big chronological list, the HiresideChats.com has categories and scrolling displays much like the big streaming services, and it's all optimized for mobile, and you can even download the files for offline listening. Find some old ones you liked and refresh your memory by starting at the beginning or jump in about 50 minutes to hear everything that would be new to you. I'm even going to be pulling one free plus show a month out of the archive and into the free feed to give you an even better sense of what you miss. The on-site comment section is pretty lively and the rating system is there to let me know the shows plus people like best. You also get lifetime access to the forum and access to a bonus page of exclusive interviews I've done here and there, bonus content from other shows that I was on, videos from the few live podcasts I've done, and the mp3s of all the THC closing cover songs I've had made. But that's not all, folks. Plus members also get a discount code for THC merch. A lot of great artwork of aliens, summoning rituals, hollow earth maps, and a wide range of wild stuff put on shirts, coffee mugs, pillows, yada, yada, yada. But it's the ongoing full interviews people want and it's convenience that they need. Well, I know 90% of listeners are in a podcasting app right now. So at the top of the show notes, there are the signup links. The form is quick and easy, and THC Plus has an RSS feed like any other show, and it can be used with all the big podcasting apps, too. I've got support documents and real, non-bot people to help you if you need it. But it's been made as easy as it can be, and you get a seven-day free trial to make sure I'm right. At least meet me there. I also have a Patreon link at the top of the show notes, which I don't love. I'd rather not have a middleman between us when we could be dancing cheek to cheek, but they are a Spotify partner, and a lot of people choose Spotify to listen to THC. So I wanted to make sure they could use it for Plus also, while they let us. 
The show notes also give you my P.O. box for cash, checks, or business-to-business bartering, as well as all the crypto addresses, because anything is better than nothing. And I want the Plus shows to be heard any way they can be. Just offer me some kind of exchange, you know? This is the job I work at. And I use this example a lot, but a waiter gets an $8 tip for walking the most forgettable meal of your life from the kitchen to the table, and you don't get anything extra for your $8 either. If what I do here isn't at least worth that, is it even worth your time? Hey, I don't like doing this part of the job, but I owe it to my family now to suck it up and make my case while I can, because who knows how long this can last. I'm not some Hollywood millionaire trying to appear genuine through a focus-grouped podcasting venture cycling through all the other celebrities in the agency. I'm just a regular guy who had to make myself valuable when the working world didn't think I had anything to offer. And I hope the first free hour proves that the full experience is worth the price. If we don't like the ad revenue-based world we're living in, then we have to support people who dare to do it a different way, who provide us something interesting, entertaining, and hopefully useful. Outside of that, I just ask that you support the guests who resonate with you, or at least let them know you appreciated what you heard. And that's it. We can get on with the show. And we'll let the rest of the podcasting world pretend there's no better way to do it than disingenuously hyping up any product that cuts them a check while we do our own thing. Meet me on the plus side. The water's fine. And enjoy. The planet's puppet masters almost surely have a plan. There's clearly maybe something there beyond the realm of men. But until you thoroughly tested every last close chested view, I find the more you think you know, the less you really do. Happy New Year, Higher Side Chatters from the Sunshine State. I'm Greg Carlwood. And as we know, the turning of the page on a new year usually brings reflections on the things we could have done better and a wave of motivation for tackling the things we hope to accomplish going forward. Though at this point in the timeline, many of us have been pushed so far that we don't have much left in the tank. Fear generating false flags, manipulative war rhetoric, economic uncertainty, rising costs, shaky infrastructure, emotionally abusive social media, stress-inducing mainstream media, the ET disclosure tease, over-medication, subpar frankenfood, not-so-natural extreme weather events, a political shit show of an upcoming election year, cyber attack narrative seeding, a pandemic of nihilism, and even just the everyday danger of navigating erratic drivers on a simple mundane errand run. We are in a wide window of time where many of us just feel like we haven't truly gotten past the last thing before we're hit with the next. But it is important to keep the spirit of life, love, hope, and optimism alive in spite of the big machine's best attempts to bleed us out. The field needs it. And in an attempt to help us find the important threads in the chaos of the big conspiracy cardigan, the theme today is Earth Keepers, or highlighting the right human guides across the crowded commentary landscape on a wide variety of important subjects. And with us to break it all down is the returning champion of THC appearances, the great and powerful Dark Prince of Chaos Magic, my friend and yours, Gordon White of RuneSoup.com, the internet's own Hogwarts Academy and the best magic school available online today. 
made even better by the latest edition of an insanely detailed and robust Foundations of Magic course that should help anyone dive into the life-improving power of the magical toolbox they so desperately want us to forget about. We've talked about all of his great books and pretty much everything under the sun in previous episodes. And now he's upped his ambitious undertakings to include an invitation to all to participate in his call for a sigil a day practice throughout the sure to be hectic year of 2024. But if there is any truth to the idea that we are the reflection of our five closest friends, then there must be something similar to be said about those from which we absorb information and seek advice. And maybe our own personal pantheons of people to follow for the road ahead could use some tweaking in our never ending attempt to separate the signal from the noise. Well, let's do it. The professor of practical enchantment, the certified shamanic healer, and the earth keeper seeker, Gordon, my man, always a pleasure. How the hell are you? Wonderful. Happy New Year. Thank you so much. And I remain in awe of the stuff you can come up with for each successive intro. (laughs) That was good. Well done. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. And Lately, you and I have been ping-ponging back and forth on a few top 10 book lists on both your show and mine, and this is somewhat in the same vein, but my idea was to highlight the best people to stay plugged into for high-level analysis of various pieces of the big pie, good resources to help with any stress or uncertainty, and you came back with the term Earth Keepers, which sounds good, but flesh that out for us. What makes a person an Earth Keeper? So I get this term from Dr. Alberto Bioldo, who runs the healing system before Winds Academy that I trained in. And the term is the English version of a Kichwa term, Kurakakuyuk. And it's essentially a, he would say a shaman who stepped outside of time. It's an enlightened master who masticates wisdom. The word in Kichwa, Kurakakuyuk, basically means chewing up wisdom in the same way that a bird would for a young, right? So an earthkeeper is someone in, it's a precise definition, someone who's had certain rights that allows them to operate, let's say, at the level of angels and at the behest of angels for the dreaming into being of a better world. So it's a really lovely overarching metaphor for the kind of thing that we're talking about in terms of finding people to be inspirations as we move through this absolute shit show, but also on a personal level, working out what is yours to do? And with that as an idea, I'm not saying you become an earth keeper because as previously mentioned, like it contains specific rights for that to happen. But you can think about, okay, what actions, what thoughts, what connections do I make so that the tunnel of 2024 that we're all moving through improves? But that's an earth keeper. It's a shaman who stepped outside of time and it's an idea of beings who relate and think and teach and share towards a better version of the future. So yeah, that's all great. And I thought this was a good idea because your blogs and solo podcasts are always full of name drops of people I haven't heard of and I wanted to hear more about them. And we're not really ranking these people, but just highlighting who we think gets it right most of the time when it comes to various outside the box perspectives, who is inspiring, as you say, who are these shamans who have stepped out of time in their areas of expertise. I'm sure I'll send a lot of them interview requests when we're done here. Ones who are still alive. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, before we get into actual people, what do you think are some of the most important subject areas that are gonna be important in the next year or core competencies that people listening 
might need to get right given what you expect on the road ahead? Mm. Something in between emotional and autonomic resilience or balance, because this year, if you think the last three years <laughs> were a stress on your credulity and what you can put up with at the level of stress and gaslighting, it's off the chain in 2024, right? Particularly for Americans, as you head into, if you have it, which you won't, a real election, the gaslighting is going to be off the chain and you have to make sure that it doesn't damage your nervous system. It doesn't damage your amygdala. It doesn't mess with your flow. And that's really key. Like whatever you need to maintain coherence, cold showers, meditation, whatever, right? Like that's key. Maintaining your center, your coherence, because it's going to get rough. That's the main one. Things that flow on from that, of course, are health and health sovereignty. The good news is for people who listen to something like THC, the last three years should have been a masterclass in that for you of where you are sovereign over your health, which I would say is everywhere <laughs> outside of accidents. But that's going to become important. That's a flow on from it. So it's essentially overall looking at where you have sovereignty and where you don't cede sovereignty, right? So I listened to Jordan Peterson last month or the month before saying anything that you give up politically is automatically taken up by tyranny. So that works on the level of your nutrition, that works on the level of food. Anything that you outsource is taken up by the bad guys definitionally, right? In this collapsing late capitalist pseudo-republic, when we're talking about the US, it doesn't matter in what direction. Am I talking government? Am I talking IRS? Am I talking food corporations? Anything that you give up, like, no, nah, fuck it. I'll just take the pill. It's taken up by the bad guys. So that's kind of key, right? Like your sovereignty, your boundaries uh, when it comes to your autonomic system and your health and so on. And then the other one, which is the kind of my permanent prayer the last few years, what is mine to do, right? When you have that sense of quiet and sovereignty, you are invited to make that inward turn to find what wants to come through into the universe through you and what you are being called by God or whatever, however you see that to do and to perform. Those two are the, I guess, the twin pistons and anything after that becomes a little bit more precise to your particular situation. Do you, are you hashtag van life? Do you live in a hmm. castle in Austria? Right? You know, however that happens to be. Right. And on the subject of what is mine to do and Jordan Peterson, something I heard from him recently for all his flaws that I really liked was he was talking about the commitment he made to speaking truthfully, no matter how uncomfortable it might be. And he operates under the premise, his philosophy is that the more you can commit to speaking truthfully, not saying what people want to hear, the closer you can get or the better your chances are of finding what is yours to do and living the life you're supposed to live because it's the lies and the appeasing other people and this sort of stuff that really takes you out of the flow, gets you out of your lane that you're here to drive through. And I thought about that and I thought it was fairly insightful. I liked it. Obviously, truth is a big part of what we do. And Oftentimes it is uncomfortable. And with every new thing we're hit with, I definitely get feedback. You'll find people who they were fine with the COVID takes. They were fine with the Ukraine takes. But now 
on the Gaza takes, they're like, I've been listening to you for 10 years and I can't believe that you would say this about the Gaza situation and I, I'm done supporting you and I'll never support you again. And so with every new thing we're hit with, even though I thought we were working on a template for how to discern the truth from the lies, I just find that there's always some people who can't apply the template to the latest situation. And so I'm thinking about life as a new dad. I got a long time to be making money to keep this family afloat. And I'm just seeing like a chiseling away with every new thing. I think about the road ahead and how chaotic it does seem. And I'm like almost dreading staying truthful. I mean, I'm going to, that's what the whole thing is about, but I'm dreading the negative feedback of that process. And I'm trying to find, hopefully part of this today is going to help people find more bright minds to follow so that in aggregate, they can keep that template strong and apply it when it needs to be applied to each new thing that we will be hit with. Yeah, absolutely. When he says that, it comes from his Christian metaphysics, which I'm in some resonance with. But generally speaking, if you consider the creation myths of the world, they do have something to do with, in the most part, being spoken into reality. In the beginning was the word, om, and so on. There is something deep and powerful about true words becoming reality that is at the foundation and cornerstone of how we see being in a body on earth, right? Like it's a bigger deal than people think. It's not just like, oh, someone might say something mean to me on Twitter. It's like, no, 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 no. This is somehow fundamental to how creation itself works. So to your concerns, I would say, it's been my experience over the last three years, particularly when at the beginning of it, <laughs> and we were on that show together in April of 2020, I told my listeners and my audience, I have never lied to you and I will never lie to you. I might be wrong, <laughs> but what I'm not going to do is lie. What I'm not going to do is actually change what I think is going on in reality because I'm craven, because I'm a coward, because I'm fucking not, all right? And we all took some hits through that time. And I think it's going to happen again. I had to do the same thing with the dividing politics of the Gaza situation. But you just have to move through and realize that, yeah, you can be concerned about making money for your kids. There's also a bigger transaction, I would say, involved, which is your soul. <laughs> and having to answer at some stage at the end for like, okay, well, however you want to say it, God, whatever. God called you to do something, which is form a community around exploring these ideas around what power is trying to say to us. And that's what THC is. And if you squander that, if you go, oh, I'm scared, then you don't deserve it. And then it will be taken from you. And you will have to answer for that at, you know, the gates of St. Peter or whoever you want to talk about the afterlife. That's something I want people to think about as we move into 2024 is nothing is worth the cost of your immortal soul. However, you see that statement and be careful with the gifts of insight that you've received. And this is kind of the secret to the Wisdom mastication of the Kuraka Kuyak is we can know with a higher degree of clarity what the next few years are going to look like. And we'll talk about the astrology and so on later on. But when you are getting on the bus, don't necessarily say to the bus driver, World War III, 2025 to 2027, ending with 
at least a limited nuclear exchange between Russia, China, and the US. Midtown, please. Like <laughs> we need to we, we need to work out how we masticate that wisdom, but not lie. How we're actually true to what's going on. Because it's not so much a lie, but it might be a sin against the gifts as well to say that, to actually freak someone out with World War Three, rather than pretend that it's not going to happen. This is why what is mine to do is my favorite of these kind of prayers and my favorite thoughts, because we can't give a universal. Whoever's listening to this is going to have a different configuration of their contact points with reality and what wants to come through. All you can do is find that what is mine to do. And I agree, like, we have to look at this in a sober way, basically. Like, 2024 is going to suck. And then, really, World War III does actually start <laughs> 2025 to 2027. Like, that's what happens, right? So there's no sense pretending otherwise. I have these conversations with my astrologer friends all the time, certainly over the last three years. There's their version of the craven cowardice that we might have seen in alternative media land is to just pretend when their clients want to know, oh, I'm thinking about getting married in 2026 in Taiwan. Or like, you maybe just go, mm, mm, maybe not there. All right. Have you, have you thought of Chile? Right? Uh, because that's not great. But they just carry on pretending that everything's going to be some sort of happy reversion to the Obama years. I don't know. We all need to, and we are, but like what you're doing, if you're listening to this, is absolutely fundamentally important to making sure that most of us, or as many of us as possible, make it through this necessary transition. Well said. And that also vibes a lot with what I've heard you say in a solo show about the plight of the fortune teller or the magician to tell the truth in uncomfortable times. Sometimes people get hung for that or stabbed by a crowd because they don't like to hear what's coming, but that's not an endorsement of what's coming. It's not any kind of, it's just, it is what it is. And bad news is still like news. It's still like something actionable you could take in. Maybe something as big as World War III can't be changed, but you can change your orientation to it. And it's not tomorrow. It's a year from now. And that's a long time to do something if you don't like your positioning today, but let's get into some of the people. I don't really want this to be just like a big list of names, but we kind of talked about doing it by category. We're talking geopolitics when it comes to the situation ahead, current event analysis, where do you go? Because if you're trying to find people who are inspiring, but are also telling the truth, that's a tough needle to thread because it's a little doom and gloomy ahead. That's true. And that's a really good point. So because of the way I approach life, I start with forecasters. So I start with my own blended cycle models, so my own understanding of Mayan astrology and so on, and astrologers as well. So Austin Coppock, we do a show every six months. There are other great astrologers out there on YouTube who don't pull their punches. So Cam White's another one of them. World Astrology Report with Dan Waits is another one, SJ Anderson. And then the reason I'm mentioning all of them is for me, obviously, famously, Martin Armstrong from a forecast perspective is the biggest source of non-astrological forecasting that I fold into my model. He's also my go-to for the beginnings of geopolitical analysis because he does the work of folding it into the forecast anyway, because 
I'm going to give you a couple of other names, Catherine Austin Fitz, obviously the amazing Whitney Webb, and so on. Neither of them operate to a forecasting model that makes sense to me. Like I've been doing magic for decades, and so I know that astrology works. So they can say what they hope or what they might fear would happen, but I'm kind of looking at okay, really good analysis of what's going on now. And then I can kind of think further up the timeline <laughs> to what the space of what is going to be. And that's my process of how I find my way through geopolitical analysis. But why I like Catherine Austin Fitz in the Solari Report is that she does bring as much optimism as possible <laughs> to a very grim situation. If not optimism, more like hope. Like she's a very spiritual woman. Like she's a proud Christian woman. And that comes through and I need that medicine, <laughs> right? Like I need it. To not be like, ah, it's all going. Like, if you look at the gold bugs and the people trying to sell you different crypto ETFs, they're using the apocalypse as marketing material in a way that I don't find very satisfactory. So that's what I look for. I look for thinkers who can map to a forecast model that I find useful, which is a blended astrology one. And then I look for diligence and maturity and sobriety when it comes to analysis. And the first two thoughts off the top of my head there were Catherine and Whitney. What about you? Well, similar. Catherine Austin Fitz, I love the Solari report is great because, yes, she talks about how bad things are going to be in this upcoming chapter of the story. But then she's already talking about, well, let's get together with the ideas that are going to come after the rebuilding utopia kind of stuff. So she doesn't leave you with the doom and gloom. She just tells you, hey, this is the birthing process of something better and it's painful. You know, I can tell you that. I've seen a couple of births and it's not looking fun. So that's what I like about her. And Whitney Webb is just really good with the connections. If you really want to know the names of individual players and organizations and banks that are involved in doing this to us and breaking everything, well, she's the go-to because she puts it all together and she can recite it without notes on any interview. It's incredible. Any show you listen to, just the host should really just turn it over and let her go because it's always really, really good. I also like No Agenda, just to name another podcast, but Adam Curry and John C. Dvorak, the reason their podcast is so good and it is hard to jump into if you've never really listened or you don't know the structure of it, but it is just media deconstruction. They play the clips from mainstream media. They play the clips from political speeches. And then they stop and like, did you hear that right there? That was the key word. You know, that's really what they're planning. Or this is all the polite speak for what they're really doing under the hood. And it's just really good because I don't even have the time or the energy or the want to digest as much mainstream media as they're digesting to do their job. But the beauty of it is you hear the clips directly. So even if you don't love their analysis, well, you get to hear the source material that they're pulling that analysis from. So you can make your own, you can tweak theirs a little bit, but I find it to be pretty spot on. They're usually really ahead of the curve of a lot of stuff. They were doing these Ozempic clips almost a year ago, and now everybody's on Ozempic. And it's just so great when they play these clips of doctors going on CNN, you know, like the CNN doctor coming on to tell about this great new product. And they're always great at calling out native ads. They're like, this is a paid spot. 
if you were just watching CNN, you you would let that slip by. It would just be another segment. But no, what you're really experiencing is a paid big pharma ad delivered as news. And they'll gloss over the negative side effects of Ozempic, like a paralyzed colon. <laughs> like, yeah, that's a pretty big side effect. But, you know, everybody's taking it now. And Adam Curry is great about saying, look, it's the food we're eating is causing us to be fat. And have a little self-discipline. Don't go to Big Pharma for another pill to solve this problem. And that's just one example of many, but I do love their show. I really don't miss it. Last American Vagabond, I also think, is running on all cylinders. Every time there is a new thing thrown at us, I go to see what Ryan Christian has said about it, and I find myself agreeing almost every time. Same with Jimmy Dore, I would say. That was one of your best episodes of the year, Greg. I Uh, think you and Ryan had an amazing conversation. That was really cool. Ryan's a good one. I was just thinking Paul Kudanek of Winter Oak as well, from like the left or post-left anarchist perspective. I love his stuff. That would be another one. When it comes to Russia, Gilbert Doctorow is a Brussels-based Russia expert and not in the way of like saying that Putin destroyed Christmas and killed Bambi's mother and, and all the kind of nonsense that's happening. He's actually like, dude, I've been doing this for like 25 years. <laughs> What's going on is a mess and it will not end well. But it's from the level of, I had several degrees in Russian history and Russian culture. I speak and I have a holiday home in Russia. I'm based in Brussels. His analysis is an essential counterpoint to the lunacy. Um, that we have. So just throwing a couple of other names out there. But Ryan's a good one as well, of course. Well, this Russia guy you mentioned, what is he saying that's unique given his expertise? It's just as NATO started its eventually, unfortunately, successful attempts to drag Russia into a much bigger war, we got at the opening of the Ukrainian stuff, the island and the ghost planes and all the complete utter fabrications behind the fact that we're supporting a Nazi regime and its ethnic cleansing of ethnic Russians in in the eastern part of what was formerly the eastern part of Ukraine. So we got the stupidest levels of propaganda I think I've ever seen for any war ever. And then on the other side, you had pro-Russia propaganda. And it's like the same thing they did with Trump, like, oh, Putin's doing like a 5D chess thing and it's going to be this and that. And I'm like, well, probably not, you know? And what Gilbert Doctorow does is I don't want to say it's more like Putin propaganda because it's not that, but it's a more sober look from an expert in Russia and Russian politics and history about how the war is playing inside Russia and how it's viewed in places like Iran and so on. So you get a clearer and more measured view of what's happening, not the swivel-eyed lunacy that we get from the neocon NATO world and the presumably paid or not Putin stats. Like it's been a weird couple of years. Like everyone's disappointed me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, come on now. Right. Why can't right. we just have like a where the hell are the no war people? <laughs> Rather than anyway, it's fine. So I like Gilbert Doctorow for that. And he's actually like a more prominent intellectual voice outside of the Anglosphere. So he does go on Iranian TV and he does go on Russian TV. And he makes sure he watches like the Russian version of 60 minutes. So he's the one who can gauge what's actually going on better inside Russia. Because we get the whole Putin's dying of cancer. Everyone in Russia hates Putin. The country's about to collapse. All this stuff. This is garbage, right? And it's kind of important. It's kind of important, almost coming back to that autonomic regulation thing, to understand how close we are to World War III because peddling it 
is very good for business and very bad for your health. Mm-hmm. And that is a great point about everyone disappointing you. That's another reason I think I was motivated to do this. On one hand, I am often disappointed by people I followed previously. I guess apparently, like I mentioned about some audience members, disappointed in me. I mean, you have to form an opinion on every new thing. And for them to line up across the board, I guess, is fairly rare, regardless of what position you're in. But this is supposed to help people kind of find better resources that they can trust to get it right most of the time. And looking at the military conflict stuff, just because I want to throw in some heavy, detailed information here, you did have a really great presentation for your premium members, the Angmar War, which was a geopolitical presentation. You said a lot of interesting things in there, the Angmar War being another, of course, Lord of the Rings or Tolkien reference. I guess it's not Lord of the Rings. It's for Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Yeah. So, but anyway, you talked about Ukraine and you said, well, it seems like what's going to be the result is that Russia will get the East and BlackRock will get the West. And I've heard more people talking about the amount of acreage and land that BlackRock is gobbling up and that a lot of it has to do with food production and controlling areas of heavy food production for all of Europe. And you also said something that I've only heard a couple people say. Really Graceful is a channel I follow, this girl Grace. Her channel is called Really Graceful on YouTube. She makes little conspiratorial videos. She said something about the premise that they were building a new Israel in Ukraine, or that's what that operation was meant for. And you mentioned that too. And that kind of connects these two conflicts that we have going on. It's an interesting idea. I mean, Zelensky, I told this to my wife, this idea, and she's like, well, Zelensky is Jewish. And then he also is apparently trying to get Marina Abramovic to be like someone to help teach kids or lead the school system, which is like, what a weird choice. She's not even in education. She's just a satanic artist of some kind. It's something like the education ambassador for Ukraine is Marina Abramovich. Yeah. <laughs> the low bar should be that we should not be able to find any pictures of a person in that position bathed in blood. Can we just, yeah. that's the bar. Yeah. Uh, if you're going to be working on the school system, just don't have photos of you bathed in, in blood. But yeah, talk to us a little bit about that because it's a outside the box idea. I've only heard a few places. I was interested. I perked up when I heard you say it as well. So I got most of that from Catherine Fitz, speaking of analysis that I like, right? Because about six months ago, she said, trying to work out, let me back it up. From the prophecy level, from the forecast level, from the Armstrong level, we look at what's going on in Ukraine and understanding that this is part of the inertia that pulls us into World War III, the 2025 to 2027 range. So it's kind of like we know the outcome. You drop down to the next analysis level, in my head anyway, where Catherine Fitz and Whitney and everyone are. And so middle of last year, Catherine Wilson Fitz with a background in on Wall Street and housing and urban development and so on, it's just looking at the numbers going, why is Germany doing this? Because it's destroying their economy. But also, what was the deal for Ukraine? Like, so Russia gets the East, BlackRock gets the West, and they're trying to clear everyone out to build their new Valhalla or something. And that was her words. Like, are they trying to clear everyone out? Because it's not just the half a million then. There's 8 million Ukrainians that have vanished, as in left the country, not vanished off the earth. And she was looking at it long before the Israel stuff happened. Of like, what are they trying to do? They're trying to build a new Valhalla. I mean, in the back of her head, it didn't actually mean like a Norse afterlife, but 
the people at the top of this power pyramid have some wacky beliefs, right? So she meant it in a, albeit, I wouldn't use that word because it's a bit dismissive of our, you know, our Norse spiritist friends, but I get what she meant. It's like, is it going to be some sort of Eastern European neon like we have in Saudi Arabia? Like, are they just making some wacky new kingdom, tax haven kingdom, whatever? And there has always been a partially, well, not partially, just brazenly anti-Semitic notion that there is some kind of Khazari mafia conspiracy to, it's really like 19th century anti-Semitism to, I don't know, refloat the Khazar empire in that part of the world. So the trouble with like dismissing, well, so what you would automatically do is dismiss the idea that there's some kind of subsequent geopolitical arrangement that may or may not involve Israel. And you're like, okay, well, that's wrong because it's anti-Semitic. And then we'll just sit with this weird Valhalla Neom idea. And then the Israel-Gaza stuff happens. And the forecast for Israel is not great over the rest of this decade because of this, right? So obviously, the genocide in Gaza is about a bunch of stuff, but the Ben-Gurion Canal and all the rest of it. When you jump up to the level of realizing the longer-term play with Russia is to eliminate its hydrocarbon money. And that's why the stuff in Niger was so important this year, because Europe went along with the American neocon war effort based on the promise that there will be pipelines coming from Africa to replace the Russian energy. And then the coups happen, and, and that's why Victoria Newland, nightmare queen of neocon warmongering, had to actually fly to Africa and see what she could do about it. Same thing with Ukraine. This is a part of land where the non-Russian pipelines would make it into Europe. So there's all these stacked reasons behind it that make it mysterious and murky. And from a forecast perspective, and I think this is where conspiracy land fails most of the time, is just because the super elite have one particular wacky belief doesn't mean it's going to come off. So when I talk about there's obviously some kind of new country tax haven wacky plans for Ukraine that Zelensky was bribed to effectively facilitate, and that'll have gas pipelines, that'll be who the hell knows, God only knows, right? Like the, the wacky medium term World Economic Forum style plans obviously have something to do with this place. Now, I think conspiracy line, once we work that out, oh shit, so there's an ulterior agenda to what's going on. We leap to, oh, it's totally going to happen. It's like, no, no, no. These are just dumb, stupid beliefs, <laughs> right? This all fails. And that's what you can find when you look at a forecast level of it. To some extent, it doesn't matter what Victoria Newland's fucking plans for gas pipelines into Europe are. We end up in World War Three, and by the next decade, as Pluto moves further into Aquarius, we do this complete reorganizing about politics. And that's why I stack, right? Like, so I look at the forecasts and then I look at the analysis and fit the two together. Something weirder than merely trying to involve Russia in a war with NATO went on with Ukraine. And it's winding up because we've noticed in the last couple of months, even the New York Times, which would print any of that ghost plane fake crap, is like, oh, Maybe we should stop bankrupting the United States by, I don't even want to say giving money to Ukraine, because it's actually just laundering it through Ukraine and back to American military contractors, and the guns then get sent to cartels, everyone around the world. So 
I don't think this was a perfect plan. If I look at what they wanted for Ukraine, I honestly think they wanted the war with Russia. I think they wanted it to escalate so that they could, which would never happen, march into Moscow, oust Putin, and then get their own Western oligarchs in and seize control of Russia's assets and whatever. That would have been the perfect case. And that would have been done within six months of last year. This, I think, is a compromised plan B of let's just keep a continuous wound, which should, in theory, it's apparently supposed to bleed Putin dry, but he manufactures his own bullets and, and the rest of us don't. And we're all running out of stuff. <laughs> so it's a very costly attempt to, quote unquote, bog him down whilst opening up other fronts in the form of Israel, which is designed to escalate to include, obviously, Iran and Syria and then Russia and so on. Like They're going to throw everything at this until they get their world war. But I think that what's happening in Ukraine is, from a neocon perspective, it's like, well, we didn't get everything we wanted. Let's see what whims we can take out of this. Yes. And that presentation is just so good. I think it's like two and a half hours. I would suggest people check out the whole thing. Like, just be a member for a month and check that out. It's still cheaper than like a movie ticket from when we used to go to the movies. <laughs> and like, we do quarterly geopolitics presentations for that reason. Cause like, it's not just a disappointment. When I like, like what we spoke about at the beginning of the episode, I will never lie to people. I'll do my best at sharing the truth, but that doesn't mean you fucking pheasants out there on the open internet get everything because most of you are idiots, right? Not listeners to this show, but like, I don't need the goddamn drama of whatever. Like you can pay a nominal amount if you are actually interested in this material, like from someone who's been, if I may say, reasonably accurate at predicting that the lefts and rights of this apocalypse and coming into World War Three, is that worth 12 bucks? I think it's worth 12 bucks. Yeah, yeah. I've had the same kind of happy accident that some things are more uncomfortable to talk about. If I read a person's book and it's like, ooh, that's very spicy. I don't necessarily have to save it to the second hour, but it is sometimes a happy accident that we're dropping the amount of people by a huge magnitude who hear the spicy part. And hopefully those people are not offended because they do pay my bills. But another thing you say in that presentation about why this gets worse, it's not just a couple of conflicts, a couple of dust-ups that are going to go away, but you brought up the fact that Netanyahu for decades has really wanted to stick it to Iran. So you have this situation where Netanyahu wants to kill enough Palestinians in Gaza to trigger a response from Iran because he knows that triggers a response from the U.S. and now it's on. And the U.S. in his mind would be crushing Iran. And then the flip side is Hamas or, you know, just general Arab states, they're talking about mobilizing enough to destroy Israel, perhaps like, Hey, this is a problem. Like if we just got rid of them, like we all have the same general religion and philosophy, we'd get along a lot better. So they're trying to mobilize. And if they were to try to get rid of Israel, obviously that would trigger a response from the U S. So it just feels like there's a lot of people who had, have had some dark wishes for many years. And they're seeing this as the opportunity to shoot their shot, to throw that Hail Mary. And hopefully, if this, then that, and that, then this, and if they can connect all the dots correctly, they'll get what they want. And so that's, I think, something that when you think about people in that position of power and in that mindset, yeah, this isn't going to get better. It's going to get much, much worse. And 
nobody's going to have the the humility to not act. Like you can already see people like, well, they forced my hand. It's like they didn't, but you know, you're going to go through the motions. So one of the things that makes prediction easier, and it's almost a David Icheism, right? Because he said this decades ago. It's like, you can't see what these people are doing because you're not a psychopath, but like they are psychopaths. <laughs> but you have to jump up to the level. So I was on, speaking of shows that I love, right? I was on Aeon Byte for a New Year's live stream. And we were talking about the thing that happened in Colorado, which at the moment appears to have been paused. We'll see what happened to Trump. And it's important as we move into this year to predict at the right level. The wrong level of prediction is like, oh, what's going to happen with the election? It's like, oh, it'll be this. So I'll fake it and I'll do that. It's like, no, no, no. You need to jump up. And this is the same thing with Israel and Russia and all the rest of it. Jump up to the level of goals. So when it comes to the election, because we're halfway through the heist, the goal is to make sure the potato in chief or whatever meat-suited demon they replace it with stays nominally in power so they can complete this great reset transformation idiotic goal that is going on at the moment. So that's the goal. So then you look at it and say, well, we can't have, it'll probably be Trump. God save us all, by the way. But it'll probably be Trump on the ticket for the Republicans. We can't have him in a fair fight because we'll lose. So you've got to look at all the options in front of them. So can we take him off the ballot in enough states? Is that going to work or not? If that doesn't work, it's going to be some kind of martial law situation to make sure everyone postal votes so that they can steal it that way. I mean, they might assassinate him. I mean, they might. They've certainly done it before. You know what I mean? And you just have to look at it from that level of the outcome they want is one way or the other, the continuance of the regime through November 2024. That's 100% certain. <laughs> As to how that plays out, that's guesswork. And it's fun to guess, don't get me wrong. It's like, I think it's going to be a martial law situation as a result of some very large-scale terrorist events that are going to happen next year in the US because the country is awash with Hezbollah activists and Chinese sleeper cells and all kinds of other little beasties that have come through the southern border. So I think it's going to be that. But like, it doesn't matter. If I'm wrong on that, it won't matter because if I look at the astrology and the forecast, the right level to predict that is the technocrat criminals that are currently in charge are going to do whatever it takes to keep the up going because they're halfway through the bank heist. You can't stop or you'll all go to prison and get killed. Same thing with Israel and Russia and so on. Look at it at the level of where the agendas are. And the, the scary one with Israel is this. So Netanyahu wants American men and women to die defeating Iran rather than Israeli men and women. And he's been trying for decades. He's been pretending they have the bomb and blah, 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 blah. He is a, the most dangerous bag man that Mr. Global has, I think. He's just, anyway, or Spectre or whatever you want to call it. But so... A few years ago, Kissinger said that Israel has become a geopolitical nightmare. And that was Henry Kissinger. So if you're, <laughs> if you're Netanyahu, you have to realize that America has lost its appetite. You wouldn't know it from looking at Congress for supporting Israel no matter what, because the geopolitics of the world have changed so much so that it doesn't really need that aircraft carrier right there in the Middle East, because we haven't done a petrodollar for decades. I know people talk about, oh, the petrodollar is getting hit. Oh, my God. It's the 1980s. Pick up your giant brick phone and get a fucking clue. So you've got a ticking time bomb if you're him, right? If you're BB, you have to get this war started now because you're running out of appetite in the US to do it. Like the appetite's gone, by the way. It's the same thing with Ukraine. The very idea, because they're going to float it, 
of having a draft so that Americans can die for Israel, for defending a genocide, or for Zelensky. This is a mess, right? But once you see that that's what's going on and say, oh, there's no getting out of this, he has to have that war because from his perspective, and it's kind of true, that's existential for Israel. And if you get the Iran component, then you get the rest of the Arab world, then you get Russia. It's just a matter of when, it's not a matter of if. And that's what happens when you jump up to that, I guess, level of motive rather than playing the game of guessing with, oh, I think it's going to be this, or I think there's going to be a Dota nuke in Jerusalem, or blah, blah, blah. Like it could be any of them, and it will be some nightmarish assortment of them. But don't get knocked off course by a guessing game when actually forecasting, which is the level above, is more predictive. Well, I like the analogy of the bank heist that you're in the middle of it. You can't stop now because you will get caught and put up against the wall or thrown in jail. So they are full steam ahead. They're like, look, we already cranked the dial up to eight. We're cranking it to 11 now. We can't go back. And I want to get into a few more like people. So when it comes to maybe people who are inspirational to you, when it comes to the individual level, how to navigate these times and keep your sanity, maybe the spiritual aspects of things that are going on outside of the macro geopolitical worldview at an individual level, who are you looking to for guidance? Who's got it right? Charles Eisenstein is a big one for me. Orland Bishop, who's one of his friends and kind of collaborators occasionally. He's very difficult to find. But he basically, if people don't know, he brokered the peace between the Crips and the Bloods, just to bring it back to some 90s fun. But he's this conflict resolution wizard. <laughs> and he's very inspired by Dahomean and, and other West African spiritualities. And he brings this like just incredible wisdom to those kind of situations. And I, like people I have in common with him so Charles Eisenstein's wife, Stella, is another one, those two combined. But she has a method of healing called resonant attention, which is like other energy healing modalities, just a way of attending upon someone's energy and physical and whatever body so that whatever healing process is going on completes. And she has watched Orland Bishop bring someone down from a psychotic break just by sitting next to them, just like sitting and attending. So he's like full with it. It's incredible. Another one would be Bayo Komalafe. And he's a recovering, well, he made it through the psychological industrial complex, but in theory, he's an academic and a psychologist, but he's more a thinker and a philosopher. And he pioneered this idea of post-activism, which is an important, I guess, aside to what is mine to do. Because it poses the question, what if the way we respond to the crisis is part of the crisis? And that's another one of those questions like, what is mine to do that brings that twisting trickster wisdom to, oh, I'm going to interrupt my patterns. I'm going to interrupt my patterns of getting in an argument we were just talking about before we hit record, getting in an argument with friends and family at Christmas or what have you. It's like, wait, <laughs> what if the way I respond to the crisis, which is not being seen and heard, is part of the crisis? expand that out on a macro level. What if the way I respond to economic and political injustice is part of that crisis? And so he's that kind of powerful 
turning inward uh, trickster wisdom, almost Taoist wisdom. Those are the ones that I find tremendous inspiration with at the level of philosophy. Some of them I can count as friends. So a good example, speaking of Miguel from Aeon Bite, I always appreciate agnostic analysis of what's going on and yourself, Greg, because you deal with some really heavy stuff in the shows and it's nice to have someone who keeps his mind and his heart staying above the gloom waters as you go through it. So those are mine. I don't know. What are yours? Well, I'm kind of at a loss in this area. I mean, I like Miguel and I like you and I like Charles Eisenstein and I like Lynn McTaggart, but we're just tossing back and forth names that people have heard us throw out many times before. I like the nomad capitalist when it comes to the individual level. If you are of the opinion or of the position in your life that you can think globally and you can be nimble enough to go wherever, he is really crushing it, Andrew Henderson, when it comes to living globally. I mean, I have from his YouTube channel, it says, go where you're treated best. We create and implement bespoke holistic strategies for successful investors and entrepreneurs to legally reduce their tax bills, diversify and protect their assets, become global citizens and maximize their freedom. If you're open to living globally, dual citizenship, offshore accounting, then you're in the right place. And he's best in class for a lot of that stuff. And I've considered it dual passports places to potentially move the family that are outside of the spotlight, outside of the main stage of what will be World War III. I even, in going back to that presentation, you make a reference to, this might be a Martin Armstrong quote, but the potential for a U.S. draft at least being discussed, if not approved, perhaps quietly by September 29th of this year, odd specific date, 51.6 years from the day Nixon directed the draft to end. This time, the difference will be that it will include women. So that's not good. If a passport in Uruguay or Chile or somewhere like that could be helpful to allow you to escape there, if you have moral qualms with your tax dollars implicating you in all of this stuff, which I definitely do. I'm not really big on that idea that they tell us what they're going to do so their karma is cleared because. You can put something in a movie, but you can't guarantee everybody saw the movie. So how are you going to be sure your karma is clear? Because that's a pretty big fucking deal. So you're going to want to make sure you got it right. So the seeding of things, I'm more in the predictive programming, affecting consciousness to kind of expect these tragedies camp. But, you know, it seems like it's a pretty safe bet that this thing is going to happen. And on the karma perspective, I hate that I am implicated. Like it seems like well-designed if you are in the karma camp, it seems well-designed to suck everybody into it by financially having us pay for the military industrial complex. So nomad capitalist allows you some outs. Not only do you want to just keep as much of your own money as you can, but you can get yourself karmically free from participating in all that by going offshore. It's complex. You know, it's on my to-do list at that level that I never get far enough down to when it comes to setting up a trust and an offshore bank account and protecting assets this way. But I do watch a lot of his videos and man, it is high level analysis. And he knows a lot of the stuff we're talking about, which is why, you know, he's not as overt sometimes because he just gives the solution. He's like, you're going to want to get out of the U.S. most likely. And this is where and how you could do it. He's great. 
Another one in that world that I quite like is Mikhail Thorup, and his podcast is called The Expat Money Show. So Andrew Anderson, we've got people in common actually, but his clients are crypto millionaires and add people who can do the like mid six, mid seven figure income situation. Mikhail Thorup is more, well, it includes that, but people underneath it. And he's got some really fun, detailed guests going through different countries, Costa Rica, et cetera, et cetera. And he's lived outside of the US himself for a long time. Actually, I think he's Canadian, but he's lived in Southeast Asia and Latin America with his family for like 20 years. In that world is a really good one. The strange thing about that world, not so much the strange thing I would say is the risk, is if you, it can become a weird hobby. It's like people, men mostly, will kick the tires on and never, never leave Boise, but will kick the tires on what passport combination is actually the best and just kind of guilty. Be careful. Yeah, yeah. But like, be careful with your energy and attention. This is almost back to point one. What do we want to do in 2024? Some of that. Austin was talking about in the podcast, the forecast episode we did recently, be careful where you enlist and just be on guard for people enlisting you. Like the astrology of next year is, because this is what happens in the build-up to war, but it's very Mars-centric. It's not the biggest transit of the year, but the Mars action is quite intense and exhaustive over the course of the year, dumbbelled to the beginning and end of the year, but nevertheless. You only have so much time before things get even more hectic. And just make sure that like, when you're putting your energy and attention to something, it does have a trajectory, right? And that doesn't mean don't listen to Andrew Henderson. But he's, I love his videos. They're great, right? And they do always end with, therefore, you should use nomad capitalists. But like, that's what they're for. <laughs> and yeah, but just you can lose hours and then nights and then weeks to a project that is maybe not the right thing for you. This is coming back to that, what is mine to do as we look at it. Whereas universally, the health stuff, the psychic resilience and coherence, that's going to be essential for you wherever you happen to be. And it's all about sequencing. I would make sure you get that stuff absorbed first. But he's, I like him and I like Michael Thor. I'm very interested in that kind of world. I've got friends in that world. It's really exciting. And I, speaking of Christmas, like, because I've been a bunch of places this year internationally outside of the West, like Vanuatu, Philippines, Paraguay, so on. Some of them, all three of them, but especially Vanuatu and Paraguay are examples of places that have these schemes, right? So that you can get residency or what have you. And I was talking to my dad about it at Christmas, and he just has that absolute boomer attitude of, oh, well, things are bad there. Well, what about the healthcare system? My closest friend here in the valley, in her mid-40s, she realized or found out she had a hole in her heart in a developed country like Australia that took exactly a year for her to get into surgery to fix that. So this idea that, oh, if you move to Vanuatu, well, Vanuatu is an interesting choice, but Latin America actually has quite a good healthcare system compared to the West and certainly compared to places like Australia and the US. So we flipped it. And that's what I think Andrew at Nomad Capitalist is so good at. He's like, I'm out here living it. Let me tell you, <laughs> we just have this assumption that the West is so great. That we're basically running on brand fumes at this point, and that's <laughs> certainly true. Yeah, that's a great term. And I agree. A lot of times I am just daydreaming. I'm, I'm, I'm rooted here. I know that I'm not probably going anywhere unless it gets like draft level scary. 
bombs dropping, unless it's like the safety of my family has to be out of the U.S., I'm pretty much where I'm going to be. But we have been talking for about an hour, so I thought we'd slide more. And I got a couple other categories. Some of them are just fun. Um, Health and healing is definitely one, uh, but we did do the top 10 healing books, so I was going to not lead with that one. Uh, But I did want to throw in at least the overview for free listeners of the the forecast with Austin, because I did listen to it and he says a lot and there's a lot of great details we can talk about. But the main headline is that 2024 is a season finale and 2025 is like a season opener. So this is like, you know, the closing of a story before a new story takes part, but it's of the same show. So it's like, that's like a really great analogy for that reason. And I even think it's true on a personal level. Like, we relocated, we had another baby, we solidified what our family unit is going to be. We're not doing it again as long as we can help it. You know, Florida laws be damned if it comes down to it. But we basically did everything. And now we're making this house a home. You know, we're trying to do the food forest type of thing. That will be the rest of the year. So in that sense of like the end of a season, yeah, the climax, the rising action was the move and the having the next baby. And now we're in that, like the epilogue, which is where nothing really happens, but you just see the characters mulling around in the dirt and really setting them their roots where they are, I could say. So I think that is a great analogy that works on a, a macro and a micro scale. But I wanted to end the first hour with, again, going back to the Angmore War, that's going to have to be in the title now. But you say, here's the things you need to do. And this relates to what you had just said, which is get ruthless with your time because this is war. And if you know it's coming in a couple of years, do you want to spend your time absorbing 25 hours of content about where you could and should go if you had the balls to do it? Do you really want to rewatch eight seasons of The Office? You know, think about what you really want while we're in a window of time where things are still manageably good for most people comparatively to where they will be 2025 to 2027 to 2030. So I think that's something people should sit with. And then you also say, if you're going to move, move now. Well, check on that one. Find your points of compliance and non-compliance. Find your line in the sand. You know, what will you put up with and what will you not? And stick to that and think about where that's going to be because those lines are going to be pushed. And you say that there's a learning plan where you should learn about health, AI, the digital control grid, mitigation, and government risk. And then you say that you should have a year's worth of iodine. Let's leave the free listeners with at least that, um, why a year's worth of iodine? Well, because it doesn't go off, obviously, and we don't get out of this cycle without nuclear weapons being used somewhere. And I do believe it's about 70% likely they'll be used in the US. And it's talking about 2027, probably for that. That's not a next year thing. Well, that being said, if we get nukes in the US next year, it'll be like a false flag, dirty bomb type situation that they'll blame on. Hezbollah or Iran or whatever. Like again, you jump up to the level of story <laughs> where this stuff's going to carry on. It'll be that. But so John Michael Greer says collapse now and avoid the rush. 
you're going to want to get your Lou goals, which is brand of choice for me now while you can, <laughs> right? Because the first bomb goes off, whether it's a dirty nuke in Kiev, whether it's a dirty nuke in Times Square, the first thing people are going to do is like, ah, oh, radiation, and rightly so, like, ah, oh, radiation, I should do something about that because iodine is the first aid intervention in instances of radiation sickness. So, and by the way, a year's worth of Mughals is like a little tray, you know, because you only need a few drops. It's not something that you mix with gin and drink, right? So it's not that big of a deal. Treat yourself in the sales to a year's worth of iodine. That's why. It's also peace of mind at that point. And sorry, you said a year's worth of new goals. Is that the brand? Blue goals, L-U-G-O-L. Blue goals, it's the one, because you should be supplementing with iodine, but legally you're not allowed to say that on the bottles. It's like, you're, this is not for consumption, ah. blah, blah, blah. Blue goals is the one if you do supplement with iodine that people typically do. So it's the one that's at the right ratio or percentage to use. There are other brands that doesn't have a special magical powers when it comes to radiation. That's just my recommendation. Interesting. Man, recommendations like that definitely get people a little riled up, you know, thinking about the need for such a thing, but it is what it is. Better to be prepared than not. The need is for peace of mind because it is 100% that nukes will be used in this decade, right? And if you're not evaporated, if it doesn't happen next to you, what are you going to do about it? There's not a huge amount you can. And by the way, this Cormac McCarthy, the road, like I'm going to live in my boomer hole in the ground until everyone's dead and come out and fight zombies. The good news when it comes to, this is such a weird thing to say, but it's a weird kind of good news to end the free hour. One of the things we've learned over the 20th century is that nuclear radiation is not as bad as we think for the environment and actually decays faster than we thought. So it's not game over when the nukes drop, okay? But you will want some kind of physical support in situations of, you know, nuclear clouds <laughs> floating all over the planet. That's as much as you can do. You have to do as much as you can do, and then the rest is up to God. Yeah. I was going to bring that up as a silver lining because there was a comment somewhere where you had said something similar that the good news is that it seems like we have overestimated the damage of nuclear radiation on life a little bit, you know, in the long term. So, well, think about everything else that was Cold War propaganda, the Apollo missions, famously, right? But like anything to do with ufology, it's all fake directed at the Soviets. And it's the same thing with dialing up the fear when it comes to nuclear weapons. By the way, they're not benign. These are bombs. Don't get me wrong. They're not. The trouble is, and this happens with flat earth and all the rest of it, just so it gets more people hating the nuclear weapons. Because they aren't as bad as was used for propaganda during the Cold War has led some people to think that nuclear bombs are fake or that nuclear technology is fake. That's conspiracy going too far and it's wrong. The good news is like they're not, I mean, they're terrible. <laughs> it's such a strange thing to say, but they're not as bad as the stories you might have read in Superman comics in the 70s, right? It's not game over if one or two of them goes off. And I can't believe that's the good news, but it is. Touche. All right. Way to stick the landing. But before we wrap up and really uh, cut you loose, you are doing a very ambitious and obviously plug anything you want to plug. But I think that the main show in town is the Sigil a Day project, which I think is really great. I mean, just for a uh, 
hashtag making, attention getting, marketing kind of stunt and a real thing. From a branding perspective and marketing perspective, it's smart and it's ambitious. I would never do it because it's so much work. You did a solo show about it, which had so many great points about what this can just do for your worldview, your mental state, your processing of your own goals and what you want to achieve. I mean, as an exercise, it's a lot more than drawing little squiggles, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's no way into it that doesn't make sense to me right now. As we head through 2024, it's probably a good idea to get better at magic. Just it seems like more practice, whatever you want to call it, magic or prayer or whatever. And that's the Q1 course, speaking of. It's probably a good idea to get better at it. That's one thing. And the other thing is, this is prayer related again. Once a day, to quietly attend to your desires. Eight minutes of what's to come into the world through you. To look with um, optimism and to cast grappling hooks of desire into the future once a day for a few minutes. There's medicine in that, right? So that's two things. There is the opportunity, which is the thing I've always liked about sigil magic for people who are kind of professionally involved in magic, I guess, is because it's so blank and invitational, it's basically a new thought exercise, right? It's not that different to any of the Mitch Horowitz new thoughts style stuff. It's so invitational that it can work with astrological timing. It can work with experiments with different kinds of prayers, whether that's to saints or Greek gods or what have you. So for people who want to move into that creatively, that's really good. And honestly, attending to your desires and in the sense of truly what wants to come through, because people think that impulses are their desires. That's not correct. The impulses are typically what gets in the way of the expression of your desires. So that was it. And I'm going to do it. And obviously it's not, I will, I guarantee you, because a year is a long time, I will not do a single one every single day. When I look back on this year, I was hospitalized in South America's second poorest country. They used AI to help write my uncle's wake. There are all kinds of wacky things that happen, right? Where you'll get to do a wash. So, you know, if you skip a few days, put them all together. But it just seems like, I don't think it's that much work, to be honest. I'm certainly not going to be doing a video a day on it. And that's for sure. And I was quite clear. <laughs> Join the Telegram group and share with that if you're keen. But I'm going to make sure that at the end of 2024, one way or the other, I've done 365 sigils. I hope I'm not up late to December 29, <laughs> trying to shit out 280 of them. Probably won't happen because my life at the moment lends itself more to daily magic because I have more clients and so on. So it, it slips easier into my life than it probably does other people's. I can't see how that isn't transformational on a personal level. And I also, at a field level, can't see how it's not a net positive to the field to have a few thousand people every day think towards a better future. I can't see how that doesn't help. So that's my thinking behind the project. And I'm going to do, depending on when this comes out, I might have already done it. My first show for the year is a solo show talking through a 101 on how to do sigils and what have you. So it's all on YouTube. Like it'll be on the podcast or it'll be on runesweep.com. And if you want to get actively involved, like you can live your best life. You don't have to be properly involved and still participate on a daily basis. But we're shooting the ideas around in the RuneSoup chat telegram. So that's it. There's no money. There's no obligation. 
just hang out or don't. I love it. I think it's very ambitious and creative. And I planned to go back to the sigil course and refresh my memory about the later stages of what to do when you've made the squiggle. And uh, it's great to know you're doing a solo show about that. This will probably come out on January 4th or 5th. So people are already behind. Okay, cool. Then go and watch my solo show. <laughs> yes, there you go. <laughs> yeah. I think people should engage with it, even if you don't hit every day. Like we're not all magicians, but like it has to be good to think about your intentions, to be in the moment, to think about what you want out of life and to do a practical enchantment to try to adjust your probability towards it a little bit. That's what it is. It's a probability enhancer. It's not a guarantee. Yeah. In the same way that going to church is medicinal, you have to pick the right church, but going to church or temple or whatever results in better health outcomes, whether God exists or not. And that was my argument for Richard Dawkins. And like, well, the health outcomes of regular spiritual attendance are obvious. In the same way, even if magic isn't real, this process is useful. <laughs> so I can make a materialist argument for a one sigil spell a day. And I think you're right. It's like you get to sit with your desires. You get to imagine a better future on a daily basis because we forget life sucks in a nice way. Like life is busy and frantic and stressful and what have you. You can go long gaps of time without checking in with yourself about what's alive in you at that point. Right. And you talk a lot about desire and what the universe has that it wants to come through you. And just like the Jordan Peterson thing in the beginning about speaking truth helps you stay in your lane for the life you're supposed to live. So does pursuing desires. Like desires are kind of that internal tug that's trying to get you through the bullet points of the life you came here to lead. And that's why it is a desire of yours, or at least that's kind of the message I've taken from when you talk about that kind of thing. So it's beautiful regardless. I think people should engage with it. It helps you to keep some control, keep in your head that you have a little control instead of what we're going to be doing a lot is focusing on the negative. Most likely it's what we do, but there's also room for that. And it takes... 10 minutes a day. And I think anyone can do it. So cool. Well, that's awesome. Good luck with that project. Good luck with the prayer course. The foundations course is super impressive. I think people should check that out. You got a new book you're working on to complete the dot series, many irons in the fire as always, but you're the man. I had a great time talking to you. This is a excellent way. I think to kick off a first show of the year and thanks, man. Thank you so much. Always, always a pleasure. All right, all right, all right. Kicking the new year off correctly. A look at the road ahead and some of the best human signposts to keep us on the right path. This was great. We laughed. We cried. There were moments of raw personal honesty. There were jokes. It's a real embodiment of the spirit of THC and no better guy to do it with. And we didn't necessarily get to all the categories I had planned, but Gordon mentioned several people I wasn't aware of, and I've already got a lot of new stuff to check out. I guess I just couldn't get away from his geopolitical assessment, and when it's paired with the astrological outlook he did with Austin and Martin Armstrong's Socrates cycles, it really is one of the clearest pictures I know of, and it felt important to give you the gist of that stuff also. My notes got a lot more in them, but I already kept them an extra 30 minutes. 
though we can say based on his analysis, it looks like it's going to be a year of false starts. A lot of asking, is this World War III now? And it won't be. I think it's important to keep that in mind because the media does love to overhype. If you're not careful, they will drain your tank before the main event even comes. It's only the fifth and it's already off to the races with Epstein document hype that reveals nothing new. And some weird situation in Miami on New Year's Eve when eight-foot-tall creatures were chasing people? Maybe some blue beam op or something, but that is one I can't help but follow. They got me. And have you seen this Cat Williams interview and the cringy, ludicrous response? There is certainly something in the air already. I was thinking about this too. It's a fine line, I guess, to try and warn about hard truths and tough times and not be doom and gloom. But we try. We attempt to keep it hopeful. I guess what's more hopeful than saying that their plans will inevitably fail? We just have to get to the other side of it. Which is really why that show Foundation is so good, because that is the basic plot. One of my sections that was just for fun, if we had time, was to ask Gordon for his favorite fictional media when we need a break. And I know he would have said Foundation, and I've heard him refer to it as a Martin Armstrong sci-fi story. And that's pretty true if you know Martin Armstrong's background. He made this really accurate Socrates AI model, and it was either the FBI or the CIA, but they came to him and they were like, give us this. And he was like, no. And so they actually put him in jail and he got out and now he continues to give his analysis and he has a membership platform and Socrates is still reading the digital tea leaves and it doesn't look good. But in both foundation and in reality, the only question is how long will the pain window be? How quickly can we get to the other side? It's a great show. And as for the last THC episode of 2023 with Diana Pasolka, I knew it would be well-liked. And I just said that episodes never really get better than a 4.7 on the plus site, and it is sitting at a 4.9. I guess that means one person gave it a 4 star over a 5. But hell, I'll take that as a strong finish to the year. Also, I forgot to thank Isaac Weishop of Illuminati Watcher for helping make that happen. I saw that she had the new book out. I tried to get in touch through the email that I had, and it was defunct. She mentioned some creepy behavior. I understand that her book exploded, and I think she wanted to put a little distance between her and the general public. These things happen. But I also wasn't getting a response from the publisher. And I saw Isaac post about interviewing her and having the book, so I asked him, and he gave them a nudge, and here we are. So a major tip of the hat to him. He's doing great things with his podcast too. Get into it. Especially if you are interested in parsing the Twin Peaks symbolism. I got a Twin Peaks t-shirt from him as well. I tried to pay. He wouldn't let me. But today's show with Gordon actually pairs really nicely with Diana's, although you'd have to hear the full thing. Because if you did hear that second hour, you'd barely believe it was a continuation from the first, but that is common. Gordon made some great points about ufology, high strangeness, and shamanism in the second half, but we also talked at length about the proper health paradigm, German new medicine, and Dana White's health journey, funny enough, and we rounded it out with a bit more of a deeper look at that astrological forecast. Really fun. I always enjoy talking to Gordon. I hope you enjoy listening. 
The iodine thing is a little intense. It definitely grounded me in the seriousness of the situation, but it is an easy way to be prepared. I also want to mention this other resource I had found. So a while back, one of our listeners told me that our old friend Brooks Agnew was selling hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. And shout out to that person. I appreciate it. I bought some from Brooks's website just to have, since my family and I don't really do doctors and I haven't found a good holistic resource out here yet. But recently, I had to listen to the Dr. Drew podcast to brush up on an upcoming guest of my own, and one of the ads was for an emergency medical kit from the wellness company, TWC.health, if you want to go to the website. Peter McCullough is actually their chief scientific officer, and I do trust Peter McCullough. But they put these kits together that allow you to take care of yourself better at home when you're in an ill state. You know, it is largely still pharmaceuticals, the stuff that they don't want us to have when situations arise. And maybe if you're starting from the level of the field, you don't need any of this. But it's just something I wanted to put out there because a lot of people wanted ivermectin on hand and had no idea where to get it. And I've actually just considered taking it for that purpose of a parasite cleanse. But I did get one of their kits just to have, and I will put it in the back of my closet with my iodine, I guess. Damn. But hey, many of our guests have been saying that a storm is coming for a while now. I hope some of you have done something to use the knowledge to prepare in some kind of way. There is no universal template, but we can say that just knowing a storm is coming is not enough if you don't adjust your course. Shutter the proverbial windows or something. Gordon definitely reoriented his life with a move from London to his permaculture paradise in Tasmania, and we all know I moved from the failed state of California to the rebel stronghold of America's swampland. It is what it is. There's a lot that I miss, mainly my people. But I can't just let one of the most expensive cities in one of the most tax-heavy states in the country siphon away my income. Just because on the weekends, I like to drink beers on the patio with a bunch of people that I love who don't see the same problems I see. I would hope at a minimum we're doing something like growing our own food or at least having a local rancher's number in our contacts. My dream is for the THC audience to be a huge factor in keeping America's independent, grass-fed cattle industry afloat. I mean, what would piss off Bill Gates more, really, you know? Do it for that reason, out of spite. <sighs> but all I can do, really, is offer the same suggestions while there's still time to position yourself. And maybe you even want to get in on the Sigil a Day project. I know I am. And Gordon did just put out a YouTube video refreshing everyone on the principles of good sigil making. But that said, you know, let's look at the meetup calendar where THC fans are finding other like-minded locals that they might be able to strategize and coordinate with when the time comes. And it looks like we do have a few more on the list. January 11th, LA Truth at the Flame International Restaurant. January 13th, another LA event at the Trails Cafe. January 16th, Washington, D.C. at Flagard. And they really put it out there. This is an experiment. They are taking a chance and they are hoping someone shows up. If you are in the Washington, D.C. area and free on January 16th, please RSVP for our fellow listener here. 
January 20th, Mountain Home, Arizona, the Rabbit Hole Coffee House and Brew, aptly titled, and January 23rd, Nashville, Tennessee, Monday Night Brewing on a Tuesday, two-for-one beer deal, can't miss it. Beautiful. I love to see people using that calendar. I know I'm going to be using it myself before too long. I need more male camaraderie. <laughs> I can't let work and kids dominate all of my time. I love it, but there is this little hole missing in my life here. And as much as I don't like to mix work and pleasure, I might have to. So keep an eye out, maybe in February or maybe even something for my birthday in March. We'll see. But yes, kicking off the new year with the THC staple, looking at the rough road ahead, and trying to introduce everyone, myself included, to some of the important earth keepers out there. I was shooting from the hip a little more than usual today, not really drawing from a big bunch of source material, but it worked out. We've done the dance many times. And it's hard to know exactly what we have to prepare for. A lot of these things can be quite chaotic, but my thought, the intention here, was that if you're plugged in to people who usually get it right and carry the right energy, it can be super helpful when you feel alone or stuck or whatever, just looking for clarity on a situation. That was the intent. Hopefully, mission somewhat accomplished, but you be the judge. And speaking of those San Diego friends I miss so much. We're kicking off this new year with a fresh THC cover song done by a buddy of mine. He did the Sum 41 cover. He did the Weezer cover. We came up with this idea. It's pretty good. He missed a line, so we're going to redo it. If you like the cut of his jib, you can hear his music on SoundCloud under Tony Party. I'll leave a link in the show notes, of course. But here's a taste. I'm getting out of here. I've done my part. Your move, conspiratorial move makers, World War III warhawks, and designers of the digital prison plan. Your fucking move. I've come for the water, but all the poisons in. It's fluoridated. It's full of estrogen. I made the good air bad. I bought up all the land. I made it difficult to be a man. I've come for your water. I've come for your water. I've come for your water. I've come for your water, yeah. I've come for the water and any food that's here. I've crushed some insects up, made the beef disappear. Goodbye to all the eggs when prices go this high. Profitable and fun to cause a rough life. I've come for your water. I've come for your water. I've come for your water. I've come for your water, yeah. Let's see in desert, even the weather. They're mine forever. Plus, Schwab endeavor. The world's beneath me. I own your body. Say the world gets hotter. Lead lambs to the slaughter. Dead dirt and acid rain I'll do it all again
come for your water. I've come for your water. I've come for your water.